Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. I'm Haley Wooden. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Haley, you had the opportunity, you made the opportunity happen, in fact, to discuss. <laughs> uh, I have a good long discussion with Andrew Weaver, the leader of the Green Party here. Maybe give us a bit of a sneak preview of that. Yeah, he joined me and our colleague Kirk LaPointe on our radio show for about a half hour discussion. And we covered it all. We talked about the NDP's first six months in office. We talked about how that Green DP alliance is shaking out because as we've seen over the past several months, you know, the, both parties are aligned to some extent, but they do differ on a couple of notable points. LNG is the biggest one. And there have been a number of uh, widely recognized tweets from Andrew Weaver talking about how if the NDP tries to bring new LNG projects to BC, that he will push for a vote of non-confidence. That is a bold statement and had a lot of people wondering, okay, first of all, is Mr. Weaver serious? Second mm -hmm. of all, what does that mean for our political future? I remember once uh, we referred to him as Mr. Weaver and Andrew Wilkinson uh, said, oh, isn't that Dr. Weaver? Uh, this is during the uh, the debates going on last year during the uh, spring election. Yes, he does go by Dr. Weaver, I believe, as well as Mr. Weaver. Yeah. Although Andrew Wilkinson's a doctor as well. So I, I do wonder if maybe he was just uh, prodding us to refer to him as Dr. Wilkinson. I, uh, I don't know. A very gentle. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There, well, we'll have to think about that. Right. Anyway, it was, a, it was a great discussion. We'll feature half of it before the break and the other half after. But have a listen and uh, hear for yourselves. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and the website, BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. It's been six months since the BC Green Party aligned itself with the BC NDP. Their confidence and supply agreement has enabled Premier John Horgan to lead what both parties have reassured would be a stable and minority government, but still, however, a minority government, and one that BC Green leader Andrew Weaver recently stated would actually lose a vote of non-confidence should the NDP continue to support and promote BC LNG abroad. We're joined today to talk about this further with BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver, who also serves as MLA for Oak Bay Gordon Head. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. A pleasure. Thank you for having me on. The last time we had you on was during the election campaign, and I want to ask you if you still feel like sometimes you're campaigning on certain issues. Yeah, I remember that. It's been a bit of a blur for 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 quite some time, and uh, you know, it it's it's not so much campaigning, but but the role, our role um, during campaign is to. Um, inform British Columbians of what we believe the issues are and what the problems are and how we'd solve them. And I think there's no difference when you're in opposition is that you identify problems and you propose solutions. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little more complex now because we're, we are in a minority government situation. So we still, you know, but we're in opposition. We're not in government. Uh, so we are not at the cabinet decision-making table, for example, because we're not a coalition. So, so it is, it's, it, it, it's different. Is that when it's not so much campaigning as as is trying to propose solutions and build public support for those solutions, and use the public support to nudge government in directions that we think uh, they should go. It is a curious, curious position, though, isn't it, uh, Andrew Weaver? I mean, it, it, because uh, the public probably perceives that you are, in fact an aligned party with the government by virtue of the support that you're providing in the legislature. And yet, and the and the covenant that you've got in terms of confidence and supply, and yet I, I have to say that almost 
every couple of days, you're issuing a press release that's knocking them all around. Uh, Help me understand a little bit about how you're determining as the party leader where the line in the sand is drawn. Right. So, so you're right. It is. It is a. It is a. For, for many people, don't um, you know the subtleties of being in opposition, but also in a confidence supply agreement is 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 you know not you know well understood. So what we agreed to, uh, we went into negotiations after the election with both the BC NDP and the BC Liberals. We recognized that there were three MLAs in the BC Green Party and that there were more MLAs elected in the other party. But we had to come to an agreement with which to offer stability uh, uh, and uh, give the, you know, I like to give signals and give market a sense of the direction we're heading. So we came up with the confidence and supply agreement in the end that we signed with the BC NDP. So within that agreement are a number of things, uh, much of which is high-level value-based, things like, um, you know, we're going to take steps to deal with affordability. Uh, but there's a couple of things that are a little more specific, and one of them is, you know, to develop a climate plan to, to meet our legislative reduction targets, one of which will be uh, 40% by 2030 and the other 80% by 2050. And there's also language in there about extending carbon pricing to fugitive emissions. So the, this, this, the confidence and supply agreement forms the basis of our support of the BCNDP. And, and, and so, you know, we recognize that, for example, in, on affordability, the BC, we're going to put out a press release next week about what we would like to see in the February budget. Um, we recognize that some of it may be there, some of it won't be there. But our, our job is to say what we stand for and push government in a direction we think they're there and hold them accountable if they said they do something and they won't. Uh, that doesn't mean that if, if government chooses not to adopt what we say, that we, we, we call non-confidence because we go back to refer back to the confidence and supply agreement and there we talk about affordability and strategies to move forward and deal with it. You know, obviously we didn't want to uh, write down every specific policy measure that we'd want to do over the next four years in an agreement because that's, you know, that doesn't, that hampers government. With the issue of LNG, um, it, it, it's an important one. And the reason why um, it, it's critical is that we have very clear language in the counterfeited supply agreement. And to be blunt, the reason ultimately why I was able to come forward, uh, me as an individual, um, and, and support the, the, our agreement with uh, the BCNDP, because I came out of a very, very personal and nasty election campaign where NDP partisan supporters uh, you know, made up an awful lot of stuff and did quite you know, personal attacks. I understand that, but it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. But, but when I sat there across from John, who I have a lot of respect for, and I, frankly, I quite like as an individual, um, it was clear to me that both he and I wanted the same thing. And he clearly wanted to have uh, meet emissions uh, targets and, and, and show leadership on this file. Well, the problem there is that somebody advising him is, is clearly not putting it on the table. And, 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 and I could not, and our party could not, my colleagues could not, stand by and say that, you know, the reason, the fundamental, one of the fundamental reasons why we've agreed to work with you is going to not actually continue forward. Look, in, in my personal case, is that if you, there's a documentary that was made called Running on Climate. It, it, docu- it tracks the last 2013 election campaign and the rationale and reasons for why I ran. I spent 25 years as a climate scientist. I could not look my wife, my kids, my colleagues, my students, people who supported me in the face and said that the reason why I personally got into the field of politics was because I couldn't stand by and watch the dismantling 
of Gordon Campbell's policies on climate change, which led to innovation in the new economy be dismantled and watch us head backwards. Now, I couldn't do the same thing and then say, well, now that we had the opportunity and an agreement to actually move forward, we're willing to stand by and let us go back again. That, yeah. that to me, I would be morally bankrupt if I, if I and that, so there is why this is, a, we're very serious about this. But, I, but again, just, I know I'm speaking a lot here, but no. I, I feel reassured, though, because I have talked with Mr. Uh, Horgan. Um, I just think that some bad advice that people don't understand that you cannot have your cake and eat it, eat it too. And people believe what the impossible because there's a lot of competing interests out there telling them you can do it. But there's no question that uh, on his trip to Asia, in the last week, uh, there were already signals coming back that uh, that the mixed message that appeared to be out there uh, between him and a person who he needs to have support, you, were, were yep. different messages, and that that might be uh, compromising some of the discussions that were already taking place over in Asia. Uh, so now what I want to hear from you is what does he have to say, do you think, in order to assuage you, in order to, make, in order to keep you in his camp? Well, so, so, you know, again, I, I'm a, a, coming back to it, I'm a very firm believer that we need to signal in a minority government to the market that what we support and don't support, which is why, for example, with Site C, before a decision was made, we appealed back to CASA and let the market, let British companies know that government will not fall over this specific decision because going back to CASA, so, don't, so that gives certainty that the, mm -hmm. the government will be stable, et cetera, blah, 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 CASA, et cetera. In this particular case, um, we, we also sent that signal forward at, at a very important time. So what, what, what can um, convince me is show me, as in CASA, a climate strategy that will lead to our legislative reduction targets. Hmm. You can't add 10 megatons of emissions and, and reduce to 12.8 megatons total all BC emissions without literally saying, we're gonna have wood fiber, we're gonna have LNG Canada, and Rio Tinto Alcan, you must shut down because we can't have your emissions. Every single individual in British Columbia must stop using gas to heat their homes, must stop using gasoline in their cars. We have to shut down every landfill in British Columbia because we can't have methane emissions from there. That's essentially what you have to say if you want to have adding to, you know, adding the LNG Canada wood fiber plants and still meet your targets. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. And so show me the climate to the plan. And, and, you know, then fill your boots. And you, the, you the sound, beauty you, of this is, but, but you sound yeah. like a, a complete skeptic that he can thread the needle in this one. Uh, no, I, I, you know, the thing I, I like about John and the thing, uh, I, I, honestly, I think he's a bit like me is that, you know, where you stand with him because he'll tell you he has. And I, and I trust when he says he will do something to my face, he will do it, and he has been. Um, and so he, you know, we had a good conversation. We're, we've agreed to meet when he gets back, uh, and I, I do believe that he is serious when he says they want to meet, uh, develop a plan to meet the climate targets. Hmm. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let, let us suppose that, but so that would preclude, for example, a throne speech coming up and saying we're going to go all in on LNG and, and look to attract two large uh, LNG plants here in British Columbia over the next five years. That sort of language would clearly be incompatible with reducing emissions. Mm -hmm. You know, a language that talks about in the throne speech, we're going to develop a climate strategy to meet our targets, um, and we're going to we're going to support 
you know, the, the natural gas industry in, in northern British Columbia. Well, that's fine, because we're not talking about shutting down natural gas in northern British Columbia. There's a very important role for that to play as we move forward. We're talking about the creation of an industry that doesn't exist, that's actually highly uh, 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 greenhouse gas emitting, uh, on top of what already is present. But it sounds as though what you're saying is there isn't a realistic, sustainable climate change plan that would allow BC to meet its targets in a way that the province could also support a new LNG industry. It's impossible. It's true. It is impossible. And, you know, I think the public needs to be leveled with because we've had far too many politicians in far too many jurisdictions around the world stand up and say the good thing about we're going to do this by that and trust us, we're going to take you there. We just have to look at Canada with Mr. Trudeau and his, his assertions about meeting Paris. In fact, we have to look at every leader in the world who signed on to the Paris Agreement, saying we're going to keep emissions below two, uh, warming below two degrees. Here's the scientific reality. The world is warmed by about 1 to 1.1 degrees already. We know that if we do no more than keep existing greenhouse gas levels fixed at present values, we've got another 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 degree warming in store. And we know there's a permafrost carbon feedback of about 0.2. So we know the world's going to warm by about 1.9 degrees if we do nothing, basically. So, so, so what, what Paris really said, Paris said effective immediately. It translates directly to this. There can be no new investment in new fossil fuel technology that will, la- that will end up last, or new fossil fuel initiatives that will increase emissions. You don't build new coal plants. You don't build new natural gas stuff because they, when you build them today, you build them to last for 50 years. You don't build them to tear them down tomorrow. So Paris said we must begin decarbonization immediately. And literally, that's what's happening around the world. And BC, rather than being viewed now as a leader, is viewed as a laggard. Look, Shell Canada, sorry, Shell International, Mm -hmm. just came out in Fortune magazine and talked about the fact that they now, as a corporate entity, believe peak oil in terms of demand will be in the mid-2020s because they see the world decarbonizing and they're moving away. I mean, Shell, Shell moving away. They've divested out of the oil sands in Canada already. They're moving away from fossil fuels. So, so this is, you know, it is folly for us to think that somehow our prosperity lies in being the last one to move forward. Yeah. Our prosperity lies by being innovators in the new economy. And that's what we used to be. And that's the direction we can and should be heading. I mean, you know, and we have everything here to do that. We're in conversation with BC Green Party leader Andrew Weber. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We'll continue our conversation with him after the break. That is BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver speaking to me and Kirk LaPointe. And uh, Tyler, we'll take a, a short break and then we'll come back with the second half. Excellent. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600 or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. All right, we're going to continue with the second half of our Roundhouse Radio interview with Andrew Weaver, BC Green Party leader. Have a listen. And welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. We're continuing our in-depth conversation with BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. Look, uh, there's no secret as well that, of course, you 
your party has really been striving for proportional representation. Uh, if you don't hear what you need to hear from John Horgan, you would lose that opportunity, would you not? If uh, if you yes. were to force um, the government and down, is, and, and um, are you prepared to kind of um, make that the hill to die on? Yeah, yes, and, and and again, coming back to it, I, I recognize that uh, you know pundits here and there uh, have who've been a long time in following BC politics are profoundly cynical uh, at times about political statements. But again, I come back to the the fact that if people are interested, watch the documentary running on climate. It's available on Vimeo. It's why did I leave a very well-paying um, job at the peak of my career in the area of climate science, where I was right at the top of the field? I took a substantial salary cut, um, and you know, literally to take abuse for, for, on issues that I, <laughs> you know, I wanted to make a difference. But there are people who resist. You, you take a lot of abuse in this business. Oh yeah, <laughs> I did. I did, as you know, I, I did this because as a matter of principle, I could not stand by. Same, same with my colleagues. I could not stand by and watch the dismantling of our leadership on this file that I spent my life in. And if I were to actually at this stage then say, okay, I got into this, but what I really care is about politics and, and this position, I'd be morally bankrupt. Mm. And I, couldn't, I, I could not look my kids my, and anyone else, or my students or whoever in the face. So yes, this is, this is why this is an important issue. But at the same time, I think it's an education issue from our perspective, is that we need the, the, the decision makers in the BC NDP to recognize that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can either meet your climate targets or you can build an LNG industry. Pick your pick. Which do you want? If you want the LNG industry, well, you're going to have to go to the public and get their support for that because you weren't elected to do that. You were elected um, based on your affordability and your, your climate strategy and all that kind of stuff. And, and we would have no problem doing that. And the public it would leave the public to decide what the direction they should be. We will have done our job. It's time for them to do theirs. But, but again, I don't think we're going to come to this because I think Mr. Horgan recognizes um, that it's important to meet the strategy, uh, the climate um, targets that they themselves have said they would do. Mm-hmm. One of your tweets, and we mentioned it in this conversation, acknowledged drawing a line in the sand on this issue. Why didn't that come after, say, the government made the decision to move forward with Site C? And one of the criticisms of that project, of course, is that it's bringing online power that would support additional LNG facilities. Well, exactly. I mean, that's a very good question. Again, I, I, I pivot back to the CASA agreement. When we, when we had negotiations with the BCNDP with respect to Site C, um, our, our rationale was we, we had campaigned to stop Site C for the reasons that were articulated in the BCUC report, frankly. The NDP campaigned on sending it to the BCUC for a review. In our negotiations, clearly, um, we, you know, we, we raised this issue, and, 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 the, and the NDP raised the issue, and, and the NDP felt confident that, uh, you know, this, uh, that this report would give information as per what it did. And we felt confident, confident as well, because we knew it would, because we spent so much time on this issue. We felt then that, okay, I understand this. If, if, if you need the, the British Columbia Utilities Commission to give you the political coverage you need, the political coverage uh, support uh, you need to actually make the tough decision, we're willing to give that. I, I support you on that because we recognize that you campaigned on this. We know what the BCUC report will say. And that will give you the political backing to actually make the tough decision. That's our rationale. And, and to say in CASA, well, in fact, the report gave exactly what we thought it would. 
and the NDP made the other decision. So again, we could you know, pick up our bat and ball and say government's coming down, or we could say, look, this is what we agreed to. We agreed to send it to the BCUC report, uh, and it did. Mm-hmm. However, with LNG, it is very specific there that we must uh, develop a strategy to meet our climate targets. So there is a difference, and you know, I, I still don't, I still don't personally believe it's too late for the government to recognize that uh, Site C is it, it's not fiscally um, it, responsible to move forward. You know, to produce power at whatever it is, you know, 13 cents a kilowatt hour, only to sell it to LNG proponents at 5.4 cents a kilowatt hour or on the U.S. spot market at 3.5 to 4.5 cents a kilowatt hour, that's kind of reckless economics when you could produce power at a fraction of the cost that Site C uh, is going to cut in at. You, of course, got into uh, public life uh, because of these very large issues of environmental degradation. Uh, But as you've encountered politics in British Columbia, you would also know that probably the number one issue that is on people's minds has to do with affordability and particularly housing affordability. Um, I've heard you again also uh, decry the the approach that the NDP appear to be taking around an issue like foreign ownership. Again, what what kind of statements are you looking for out of this party in the run-up to the budget and in the budget itself that again, will give you confidence that uh, the issues are being tackled in the way that your party can support? Well, we, we, we will actually formally be uh, um, uh, announcing, uh, specifically with the document, what we hope to see, what we would like to see in the uh, document. We'll be doing that next Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday, the 31st of, of January. Uh, so, so, but to give some specifics, uh, the, the BCNDP clearly campaigned on a on affordability and did, did very well in Metro Vancouver because of their commitments there. We haven't seen much yet. We've had many meetings with the NDP uh, on this issue and, and articulating what we think is important. One of the things we, we clearly believe is important is, is dealing with uh, the, the, the offshore capital that's flowing into British Columbia in a means and ways like New Zealand has done, essentially to say, stop, we, need, we have a drastic drastic problems need drastic strong measures uh, you know we can we can revisit that decision sometime in the future but right now we need to stop it mm-hmm. but there's other issues things that can be done as well we'd love to see the introduction of speculative taxes which would you know it, it could be implemented on existing capital that, uh, uh, that's been invested here in real estate to to discourage um, you know, we could, we'd like uh, uh, offshore ownership. We'd, we'd like to see, you know, the ability of municipalities perhaps to uh, have vacancy taxes if they so wish to uh, see the foreign buyer's tax, which uh, uh, could be um, distributed across the province or in various municipalities. So we, we've communicated our, our what we'd like to the BCNDP clearly, and we will make that public um, uh, next w- w- week. Uh, w- the reality is not everything that we want will be in the budget. We understand that. But we are coming back again to the CASA agreement. Uh, we have a commitment that they will take steps to be- deal with affordability. And that's, and, and, and that's you know, what, what adults do in the room is they, they, they put their positions forward and they recognize that you don't always get what you want. There are some things that are non-negotiable is negotiable, and, and, and I think British Columbians want people to work together on that. So, so I, I suspect you'll see some, some measures taken, probably not all we'd like, but certainly some that we'd like. You've mentioned a couple times now paying close attention to what this minority government is signaling to the broader market. Mm-hmm. So I'll put two questions to you. The first part is, what do you think that signal has been, 
over the last six months? And the second part, what would you like that signal to be in 2018? You know, we uh, we get um, both John Horgan, uh, I, my colleagues Adam and Sonia, and NDP MLAs and, and all across the province uh, get correspondence from people all the time on on many issues. Uh, it's without any doubt uh, people um, like, uh, in my view, not everybody obviously, but people generally like the direction things are heading. Uh, you can see that in a, in opinion poll ratings. There was one recently. You know, they they obviously some of the decisions have profoundly disturb, disturbed a number of people. Like the Site C decision was was clearly um, not liked by an awful lot of people. Some people blamed us for that. I don't know how that could be the case, but some people wanted us to have government fall over that. I don't think that would have been responsible. You know, some people uh, don't think the NDP have gone far enough. And other things. Other people have unrealistic expectations as to our influence. Uh, but, but by and large, you know, we've had some major accomplishments. Right now, we know uh, that big money is out of all levels of politics in British Columbia. That's a huge accomplishment. The upcoming municipal elections, local government elections, school board elections, will no longer allow contributions from union and corporations. The by-election happening in, in um, Kelowna will be the first election in, in BC's political, recent political history that will not have been funded by union and corporate donations. So it's so there's been some exciting developments there, and and we've done a lot of work, um, uh, in, you know, on ride hailing. With committees meeting now, we've got work going on on childcare. We expect to see something in the budget on that. We don't know what will be there, but we've certainly had lots of discussions about what we like, uh, what we think is important, uh, and so I I'm I believe that generally people are people are pleased. You know they. They, 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 they're generally pleased with the direction. That would be my view, but of, of course, that's my view. It might be slightly tainted by my own personal experiences. Yeah, so there will be, of course, uh, yet another political development within the next week, and that's uh, the appointment of a, a new liberal leader uh, by virtue of the election yeah. inside that party. Um, I'm not asking you to to uh, uh, give me the conditions under which you'd betray the NDP pact and move over to liberals. But are there things that you want from a new liberal leader that would give you greater confidence that, in fact, they would govern in the way that you'd govern? I'm actually quite troubled with the rhetoric that I've been hearing um, from the BC Liberal candidates uh, in the leadership race. Now, I recognize that they're not speaking to all of British Columbia. They're speaking to liberal supporters and trying to rally their support behind an individual person. But but what I found troubling is that um, a lot of spin has been out there. For example, their, their singular focus on we hate proportional representation is, is, largely, is largely based in, in, in factually incorrect statements like proportional representation will, will hurt the rural regions when in fact it would do the exact opposite because you wouldn't be in a situation where for four years every MLA from the Okanagan is in government and there's no opposition representation and then now every uh, MLA is in opposition with no representation in government. Those situations would no longer exist. So I found that frustrating. I've also found um, some of the, the rhetoric that uh, happened in the last session. Now, again, I recognize the liberals were hurting from their defeat, but, but it, was, it was not focused on doing what's right for people. I think that party honestly needs to, be, needs to have a shakeup. I think there's people who've been in that party for far too long, still having far too much influence, and I don't think things are going to change at all 
if uh, with with uh, uh, the elected leadership of quite a number of those candidates in, uh, so running. So, but, but you think, but you think there might be a candidate or two in that mix of six that that would be able to shake it up. I, I, I mean, I, I I feel uncomfortable commenting on the. On the on the on the leadership rate within the BC Liberals because it's their party and their leadership. I, I will say that you know obviously I I I I have relationships working relationships with most of the candidates there on the one level or the other. I sit across the the aisle from Sam Sullivan, so we have lots of good conversations. Uh, I quite like the way he 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 um, uh, conducts himself in the legislature. You know, I've worked with uh, on on files with Andrew Wilkinson, Todd Stone, and I have uh, had long conversations about uh, ride hailing Mike DeYoung obviously was a finance minister we had discussions there uh, uh, Michael Lee I've got to know him again uh, so so I don't know Diane Watts but but uh, I mean I have working relationships with all of them and my colleagues do too and and you know obviously you work together but but obviously you know I I, I like language I hear from some better than the other you know I like yeah. hearing Mr. Uh, uh, Todd Stone talk about the new economy I think uh, that I like uh, I, I quite frankly I, I I have a lot of respect for for Bill Bennett the former uh, Kootenai East uh, uh, MLA when he came out a couple of days ago and saying you know he felt uh, that he hadn't been given all the information about the potential budget surplus I like people who who you say what they think Sometimes it's a little controversial, but I, you know, I, I, I respect him for saying that. I, he's not running as leader. Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why I quite like John is that uh, he, like, he says what he thinks. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like, I don't want to support one leader or the other because that would be inappropriate. Andrew Weaver has been our guest. He is, of course, the BC Green Party leader, MLA for Oak Bay, Gordon Head. Thank you very much for joining us on the program today. We appreciate you taking the time. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. Stay with us. We'll be back after the break. That is Andrew Weaver, BC Green Party leader. A lot of interesting things to say. Uh, I appreciate the interview. He didn't hold back. And he did reaffirm that if LNG projects are going to come to BC, he and his party are going to have a big issue with that. So we'll wait and see. One of the important things to mention, too, is after we spoke to... Mr. Dr. Weaver. <laughs> Whatever well, you want to call the titles. Leader Weaver. Leader, Leader Weaver. That's a little difficult to say, but yeah, that one works too. Premier John Horgan, who at the time was overseas on a trade mission in Asia, addressed some of his tweets. This is on the same day we actually spoke to Weaver. And he sort of said, you know, if LNG projects meet certain requirements, there's a four pillar strategy the NDP has. You know, as leader, he's going to have to evaluate the economic opportunities. So a bit of a pivot mm, there and yeah. a very different stance from Weaver's blanket, no LNG. I can't wait for, I don't know, everything to come to head. I, I, I'm i skeptical the government will fall over this, but I really do think Weaver is sincere when he says, you know, this is kind of his... Uh, his mountain to die on, so to speak. So exactly, we'll see. We'll see how far he pushes it, and we'll see if uh, if he'll eventually get the ear of Premier Horgan. That could happen too. Anyway, that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for listening to Business in Vancouver. And this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants. 
and business advisors. Tyler, where can people go for more news and to connect with you? Yeah, you can find me online. I'm at Reporton on social media. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. You can also find my stories as well as Haley's stories at BIV.com. We have a brand spanking new website. Mm -hmm. Check it out. It looks quite lovely. Haley, where can we find you on social media? My handle is at Haley Wooden. I'm on Twitter most of the time. That's the best way to reach me. And our podcasts are also available on iTunes as well as Stitcher. So you can find us there. Anyway, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.